You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. A young man claiming responsibility for the T-Mobile breach talks to the Wall Street Journal. A new cyber espionage group, Sparkling Goblin, seems particularly interested in educational institutions, especially in Southeast and East Asia. Are governments training AI with stolen data? Mitigations for Microsoft issues. Celebrite tools may still be available to Chinese police. Kevin McGee from Microsoft wonders if leaders have over-pivoted toward technical skills. Our guest is Bill Wright of Splunk on the ongoing geopolitical ransomware trend. And another ransomware gang says it's going out of business. We'll wait and see. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, August 27th, 2021. The Wall Street Journal has been talking with the young American expatriate, one John Binns, residing in Turkey, who claims to be responsible for hacking T-Mobile. The Journal regards John Binns' claims as likely to be credible since, as they say, he seems to have kind of non-public knowledge about the data breach only someone involved in the operation would in all probability be familiar with. Mr. Binns, said to be 21 years of age, says he gained access to T-Mobile's networks through an unprotected router, using this as an entry point to the mobile carrier's data center in the U.S. state of Washington, from where stolen credentials gave him access to more than 100 servers. He said the telco's security was awful and that he hacked them to make noise. The access he gained, he said, was so extensive that he found it frightening. He texted the journal, quote, I was panicked because I had access to something big, end quote. He spent about a week moving through the servers and exploring personal data. How the claims that Mr. Binns was interested in making noise, drawing attention to some lesson that might be drawn from the breach, is consistent with offers to sell stolen T-Mobile data in a hacker forum, isn't entirely clear. Those offers were connected with hacker names Mr. Binns has used, IR Dev and Vortex, the latter being spelled Vortex with a leet character zero in place of the noobish letter O. When the journal asked him directly, Mr. Binns had no comment on whether he was selling the stolen data or had been paid to compromise T-Mobile. John Binns, a graduate of Northern Virginia's McLean High School, appears to be largely self-taught, cutting his teeth on hacking games like Minecraft, 
and in associating with some bot herders who've afflicted online gameplay. He also has an ambiguous track record of claiming imprisonment, involuntary sequestration on hospitals, and so forth, possibly at the hands or at least the instigation of the FBI, unless it was the CIA. In any case, if it's noise he wanted, it's noise he's made. An offshoot of the WinT APT has been exploiting the sidewalk modular backdoor, ThreatPost reports. The group, which ESET calls Sparkling Goblin, has been hitting targets in East and Southeast Asia. It's also shown interest in usernames and IP addresses from a U.S. computer retailer and Canadian schools, ThreatPost says. WinT has been associated with Chinese intelligence services, Sparkling Goblin appears to have used some code stolen from the U.S. Equation Group, as well as Winti Group tools in its operation. The exploitation of Microsoft Exchange Server vulnerabilities by Chinese intelligence services, and particularly by the threat actor Microsoft tracks as Hafnium, could have served multiple purposes, the most obvious of which was direct collection of intelligence from the targets Hafnium compromised. Somewhat less obvious was the potential the operation had for the development of target dossiers that could be used to compromise and recruit foreign agents. But a third possibility also exists, NPR reports. China is engaged in what Beijing views as a race to develop a dominant position in artificial intelligence, and AI needs data to train on. In some respects, the more indiscriminate, the less structured that data may be, the better. Microsoft has warned customers against a vulnerability in Azure's Cosmos DB database, Reuters reported earlier this morning. Researchers at Wiz discovered and disclosed the issue, which involved access to database keys earlier this month, and Microsoft has now addressed the problem. Microsoft has also issued guidance on addressing proxy shell vulnerabilities in Exchange Server. Users of these products should give Redmond's guidance careful attention. And we disclose, as always, that Microsoft is a sponsor of the CyberWire. The Intercept says that although Celebrite says it exited the Chinese market last year, Chinese police have continued to buy the company's phone-cracking technology. The Intercept describes the ways in which the cracking tools continue to reach China. Quote, While Celebrite did deregister its Chinese subsidiary earlier this year, It appears to have done little about the brokers that peddle its hacking technology. Chinese government procurement awards notices and posts on resellers' websites show that police have continued to purchase powerful Celebrite software, while resellers have continued to provide updates for the software. In one case, a reseller reported delivering the Israeli company's software to border guards in Tibet and demonstrating how it could be used to search people's WeChat accounts. End quote. Celebrite responded to The Intercept through its public relations representatives, quote, Celebrite has developed a strong compliance framework, and our sales decisions are guided by internal parameters, which consider a potential customer's human rights record and anti-corruption policies. Celebrite remains committed to safeguarding human rights and has developed strict controls, ensuring that our technology is used appropriately in legally sanctioned investigations, end quote. And finally, the ransomware gang responsible for Ragnarok says it's shuttering its operations. 
and has released a decryption key for Ragnarok, according to the record. The Ragnarok gang had been active since 2019. Ragnarok had long made a meal of Citrix ADC gateways and was also the gang responsible for the quickly thwarted campaign to exploit a Sophos XG firewall zero day. The decryptor seems to be real, but whether this represents a genuine twilight of the bad gods or simply indicates a rebranding remains to be seen. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Bill Wright is Director of Federal Affairs at Splunk and formerly Staff Director for the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee for the U.S. Senate. I caught up with Bill Wright recently for his take on the seemingly relentless march of ransomware and what he thinks might be done to slow the pace. So I think, you know, at least a year and a half ago, ransomware was really seen primarily as a what I would call a nuisance cybercrime. It hit mm. schools, hospitals, businesses, sure, but the disruptions were considered pretty isolated. No one was known to have died, and the ultimate effects were limited primarily to those entities that were hacked. Then came Colonial Pipeline, disrupting nearly half of the East Coast's fuel supply, quickly followed by uh, another attack that threatened the nation's uh, largest meat supplier, uh, JBS, and then, of course, Kaseya last month, along with many countless uh, others that maybe didn't make the headlines. So it quickly moved from an economic nuisance to an, a national security, public health, safety threat. And I think that's the way our government is treating it now. 
You know, we've had the public statements from President Biden, you know, where he has uh, said that he's spoken with President Putin about this issue and um, are, are trying to apply diplomatic pressure and so on. Are we seeing any effects from that? Is, is Has there been any change since we've seen those uh, public declarations that this is important? First off, a threshold matter, I think that that public declaration is very important. Also, this likely goes without saying, but there is no silver bullet for this. Smarter people mm-hmm. than me have been grappling with this problem. Um, I thought a lot of the ideas and some of the recommendations that came out of the ransomware task force uh, were interesting. And one of those was to publicly acknowledge at a high senior level some of the problems around ransomware. The Biden administration, I think, is taking some really good steps to help modernize our our cyber defenses. Um, The EO, for instance, was a great start, among other things. If you read between the lines of the EO, um, I think there's really broad recognition that uh, security is first and foremost for us a data problem. Uh, The life cycle of a threat response is relying on data to detect a threat, monitor for impact, find a solution prepare for that next attack. So at its core, and as we like to say here at Splunk, all data is security data. And I think the EO goes a long way to recognizing that. So the way I look at it is clearly organizations themselves need to better defend themselves, but we really also need to go after their business model. You know, we mentioned ransomware as a service, uh, has really opened it up to the masses Darkside, I think, is a classic example of this ransomware-as-a-service criminal gang, but that is primarily being run outside of U.S. authorities. You know, some would argue, including Darkside themselves, that they were not even directly responsible for those colonial attacks. Um, they're certainly responsible as creators and operators of this uh, ransomware-as-a-service. A so we need to find a way to go after that business model. There's a number of things being considered policy uh, considerations around what we do about cryptocurrency reporting, requirements on acknowledging uh, ransomware payments. There's a number of ideas that are circulating now. And then I think the last leg of this uh, um, stool for going after ransomware is that the U.S. government and our allies really need to take a more aggressive approach against the ransomware actors wherever they might reside. Until they feel the pinch, this criminal business model is going to uh, continue to grow. So to circle back to your original uh, statement about um, uh, Biden and Putin, I think this was an excellent start, uh, but I think it is part of a holistic strategy across the government and across uh, the whole of society, frankly. That's Bill Wright from Splunk. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear the full interview, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security 
by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Kevin McGee. He's the Chief Security Officer at Microsoft Canada. Kevin, it is always great to have you back. I wanted to touch base today with something that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that is how we approach leadership in the cybersecurity world, some things that you've been focused on here. What can you share with us today? I think we've talked uh, a lot about the skills gap as an industry, and we tend to make the skills gap out to be just the technical skills required to uh, to meet the needs of our industry. And, and while there definitely are some challenges in that area, I certainly won't discount it. I think we've over-pivoted uh, to that uh, that topic at really the detriment of leadership and management skills. And are we really thinking about as we onboard, develop, and, and, uh, and grow our industry of technical professionals, who will be those people that lead them? What are the skills that they will need? Um, and, and what are we doing to get ahead of this problem before it becomes the next skills gap that really cripples our industry. Can you take us through some of the specifics of that? I mean, is this is this training people up from within for leadership positions? What sort of things do you have in mind? Yeah, I think uh, we we look at why are we disconnected often from uh, the business and from operations and from strategy. And we, you know, you see those cartoons about we need to finally get a seat at the table at the board and whatnot. Uh, so there's there's a lot of discussion, a lot of interest in, in, you know, in the challenge of why there's a disconnect, but very little being done, I think, to solve it. So I have a, a couple of theories of what we could be doing to solve it. One would be taking folks out of other areas of the business and embedding them in the security teams and teaching them security skills. So uh, sort of a a cross-pollination of skills. The other thing is, and this would sound crazy in an industry where, you know, we, we have a skills gap and not enough talent, why not export some of our talent to other areas of the business? Why not take security professionals and put them in marketing or put them in sales or put them in other aspects of the business? This is really what we saw years ago when we were having financial challenges within companies where the, we took the chartered accountants and we made the, we gave them the opportunities to finally be the CEO or we, we embedded them in other areas of the business. And now it's not uncommon to see an accountant uh, or someone from finance or a CFO rise to uh, the level of CEO. You don't often see CIOs or CISOs uh, move up the ranks into uh, into the larger chairs as well. And I think that's holding us back in, in our detriment uh, that we're not thinking differently about how to uh, embed security throughout the business. You know, it gets my dander up uh, when I hear folks refer to uh, some of these things as being soft skills, like the people skills, they refer to them as soft skills. You know, to me, they are they are both fundamental and critical to a business's success, these abilities to communicate. To me, if you're going to be a leader, that is something that is critical. It just has, it's not optional. And yet, to your point, I think, particularly when it comes to some of the folks on our technical teams, it seems to me that that's a part of their well-roundedness that we aren't always nurturing. And I think as an industry, we started um, focusing on, on bringing in people who were just curious 
And they didn't matter what background they came from. They didn't need computer science degrees. We were all, in the good sense of the word, hackers. It was our curiosity. It was our um, interest in taking things apart and figuring out how they worked that really drove the industry. And I worry as we're trying to professionalize our industry that we may overpivot and make it all about computer science. And uh, then we'll lose the soul of what made our industry great, which is the old, the old hackers. Um, so how do we professionalize our industry because we definitely need to do that. We need to come up with standards and we need to come up with ways of really assessing skills and abilities. But how do we do that without losing those characteristics that really made, you know, some of the greatest security professionals of our generation? And how do we we pass it on to the next generation is is what I spend a lot of time thinking about. And I, and I certainly don't have the answers, um, but it won't be based on modeling what another profession did, say accountants or lawyers or whatnot, in professionalizing their business. We have a unique challenge as cybersecurity professionals. We have a unique need for different skills. And uh, so we're going to have to come up with unique solutions. Taking an MBA and adding a, um, a cybersecurity course to it is not going to solve the problem. Taking a uh, master's in cybersecurity um, course set and adding you know two electives for leadership or business is not going to solve the problem. I think there needs to be really a third way. When you're looking through applications from folks who want to come work with you, what attracts your attention? What are the things that, that catch your eye for you to say, okay, this is probably someone who has those particular types of skills? I think most folks that show up to an interview think we're going to talk just about work. And I often surprise them because that's probably where I, um, where I not start the conversation. We often end up there. But I look at volunteer experience. What do you do with your free time? Because work, you're directed off on what to do, especially in your earlier career. Um, but what you choose to do with your time really tells me more about you than anything else. If you choose to volunteer, if you choose to, uh, to get behind certain, um, you know, challenges you want to, to take on. Um, if your, your passion is, is helping young women enter the STEM careers and whatnot, um, that tells me a lot much more about your character than whether you did a certification or not as well. So I really try and get behind the, the motivation and thinking of uh, what drives that person, what makes them curious, you know, what other aspects of the business are they interested in, and then how do they learn? Uh, how do they approach problems? How do they keep up? Those are the type of questions I spend a lot of time uh, discussing with potential candidates. And you can see the um, sort of the look on their face. They're often puzzled at the beginning of the interview that why am I not asking them technical questions? I think we, we definitely need to explore those other aspects of uh, you know what makes a great cybersecurity professional. And it's not simply yes or no answers or um, understanding um, you know how technical concepts or certifications. There's much more to us as cybersecurity professionals and leaders. Well, Kevin McGee, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday program and my conversation with Deepin Desai from Zscaler. We're going to be discussing Joker joking in Google Play, Joker malware targeting Google Play Store with new tactics. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, 
Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.